Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader, or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. So it's been a while since it's just been Jeff and me on the podcast, but that's what we're going to do today, and we want to get back in the habit of doing uh, more episodes that are the two of us talking, and we thought that this would be a good time to resume that habit, because this is episode 25 of the podcast, and given that we've reached that milestone, it seemed like this was a good opportunity for us to take time and reflect on our experience with the podcast. So that's what we'll be doing in this episode. But before we get to that, I want to make sure that you're aware of the Learning Technology Design Event, uh, LTD for short. This is a learning experience that's uh, designed specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development. And so if you're listening to this podcast, you're presumably interested in, in learning and in leading. And so you and or others on your staff may be interested in LTD. And the goal of that event is really to help uh, the folks that will attend find new and better ways to engage learners and create lasting impact through the effective use of technology. So if you want to make sure that your organization isn't getting left behind, and even more importantly, if you want to connect with a peer community that can support you as you move forward, uh, then we strongly encourage you to check out LTD. You can find out more about it at ltd.leadinglearning.com. We also want to thank Com Partners, makers of the Elevate Learning Platform, for being a sponsor of the Leading Learning Webinars. Uh, and as part of that sponsorship package, uh, they are a sponsor for this podcast episode. You can find out more about our upcoming Leading Learning Webinars at tagoras.com webinars. And you can find out more about Com Partners at compartners.com. So Jeff, let's talk about reflection. Yeah, and I mean, I think first to acknowledge once again that this is episode 25 of the podcast, and that you know that means we've been doing this for uh, more than six months now. So we've put in quite a bit of time on it, and I know um, you know in addition to this being a, a milestone for us as a podcasting team, it's a personal milestone for me. Uh, I don't think I've made it past 21 episodes in any previous podcast, so I've I've broken my own record here, and this is one that uh, you know we keep hope to keep going indefinitely but uh it's definitely a good time having reached that milestone to to think back and you know and we wanted to talk about reflection both taking a minute to you know reflect on the podcast itself which we'll certainly do during this episode but also just to talk about reflection in in general because we feel like in you know in some ways it's kind of the you know the, the stepchild of learning it just doesn't get the uh the emphasis the the attention that it should and i mean there's a whole line of thinking out there and has been you know for for quite some time i mean dating back at least to john dewey but you know more recently uh associated with people like donald Schoen that 
that says that that ability to reflect on your actions, both you know in action and afterwards, you know the, the idea of that after action review, is really a key element that distinguishes the best learners. And actually, there's you know research around this too, the best leaders um, from you know those who are more average or, or, or falling behind. And you know we know from a lot of observations of ourselves. I know from you know a lot of painful observation of my own self, um, but also looking at others um, that, you know, we just often are not as consistent or disciplined uh, in, in going about uh, reflection. We often have an action bias. Um, and I think oftentimes, you know, when we're in the midst of learning or we're getting a lot of new information, you know, there's that, uh, that potential for being overwhelmed too and not knowing what to do with that learning. Um, we, we've seen that in action ourselves. And reflection, you know, usually is the, the answer to that. Yeah, I thought that it's really interesting. One of the examples and one of the things that I've read on on this, you know, bias for action is if you take uh, the example of, of soccer goalies, and I play soccer on the on the weekends. But you know, it's this idea of there's the goalie on, on a penalty kick, and they've got to decide where to move mm. as that ball's being kicked. And um, most of them opt to either jump left or jump right. But really, if you look at the percentage of balls and where they go, most of them are kicked right in the middle of the goal, which means if, if the goalie would just do nothing, you mm-hmm. know, then, um, then they would be better off than, than doing one thing or the other. So I just thought that was a really good way to think through this in practical terms, you know, about how sometimes inaction um, is actually a, a really smart choice. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, reflection is really what kind of tells you where to move based on what you know. It, it's, it's taking the learning and, and helping you to uh, apply it. And, you know, we, we wanted to talk about some of the ways that reflection really ties into very established learning theory, learning science, really. This is stuff that's been proven out by research over time. And we've talked about some of this research on the podcast. We've certainly written about it. We've incorporated it into uh, how we approached, for example, the, the leading learning symposium. But, you know, to start off with, when you engage in, in reflection and, and do it well, very often you're going to be engaged in a process of what's called effortful retrieval, which means you, you are looking back and you are trying actively to retrieve uh, pieces of knowledge, uh, learning experiences that you have had in the past so that you can then do something with them, you know, create that way forward that we were just talking about. And we know from the science, from the research, that effort and effort re- effortful retrieval are absolutely essential to effective learning. You don't learn effectively unless you take that time to go through some sort of effortful retrieval. And reflection is not the only way to do it. The testing, obviously, is a, is a classic way to do that. But you know, part of reflection can be, in essence, testing yourself a, a little bit and, and, and taking uh, uh, that knowledge and using it. Well, and, and another uh, aspect of um, reflection can be uh, elaboration, and, and just like effortful retrieval, which you mentioned, uh, elaboration is something that comes up in Make It Stick that you know sort of summarizes uh, so many uh, studies about how we learn uh, best. And you know, with elaboration, you're um, connecting. Uh, new knowledge, new experiences to things that you already know and have experienced and that then makes you kind of more fluent uh, in in that new knowledge uh, because you have then that connection that makes it easier for you to retrieve um, going forward. And so I think that's a, a, another example of kind of what reflection can do for you. 
Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you've got the effort for retrieval, you've got the elaboration that can then, you know, be a, a partner with that. And then there's the concept of space learning, which we've talked about uh, quite a bit. You know, the idea that uh, uh, to acquire knowledge and skills effectively, you, you can't do it in that sort of massive one dose uh, uh, sort of learning. You need to be able to return to and, and repeat things over time. And, and reflection can be a natural part of doing that. Um, you know, reflection implies a certain amount of spacing. You may do some reflecting in the moment, but then most people are going to reflect, you know, after something is over, uh, look back on it, uh, connect those dots as we're talking about. And hopefully, I, I think the, the people who are best at reflection will revisit the, the really important learnings multiple times over time, um, continue to retrieve, continue to elaborate, continue to build on and, and reinforce that learning and really make it more and more applicable to, to what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, those are those are three components of learning theory that are, you know, right there in reflection that, you know, helps us know that, uh, of course, it's going to be impactful. Um, but I think it's interesting, too, that there, there started to be more empirical evidence around reflection, just as there is around, you know, so many components of learning. And um, we were reading a, a study recently. In fact, one of the, it's out of Harvard Business School, but one of the authors involved with it is actually here in uh, in town close to us at the Keenan Flagler Business School. But it was looking at, you know, the, the bias for action uh, that we tend to have. And I was mentioning this a little earlier. We all tend to think that if we just do more, you know, and the whole concept of learning by doing, you know, uh, if we can just practice more, get more exposure, get more experience, that's going to be the best way to go in, in terms of uh, learning most effectively and learning the most that we can. Uh, but this study that uh, this, this group of uh, uh, academics did basically showed that um, getting up to a certain amount of experience and then spending some time reflecting is actually much more effective than getting up to a certain point of experience and then getting more experience or, or doing more practice, which goes against what most people will choose. In fact, they found as part of this study, they were putting people through puzzles, you know, and then and then they gave people the option to spend some time reflecting on those puzzles uh, or doing more puzzles. And then they had a group that also did nothing. Um, and they found that only 18% of the people actually elected to do the reflection. So, you know, less than a fifth of people said reflection is something I want to do here. But out of that fifth that uh, chose reflection, they did much better in, in subsequent uh, practice on the on those puzzles than the people who elected to do more or than the control group that, you know, uh, didn't do anything else. I think they just watched an unrelated video or, or something like that. In fact, the control group and the group that elected to do more, um, there wasn't much difference between them. It was the group that took the time to reflect that actually performed much better in uh, subsequent uh, experience with the, the, the puzzles that this group was given. And one of the things that I thought was interesting in that study, and you, you said it, but I just want to emphasize it, is this idea of um, reflection is is very useful, more useful than experience at a point, meaning once you've hit a certain threshold of experience. So, you know, you can't, if you don't know anything about chess, you can't just sit down and reflect. Chess, yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, you need to have uh, some understanding of some of, you know, of how the pieces move and maybe some opening, you know, bits and that sort of thing. But then once you have that, then, yeah, reflection may be, you know, a better way to improve your chess game than, you know, just continuing to play and play and play. So I think that is uh, interesting in the sense of, again, given our action bias that, you know, we tend not to 
give reflection the value that it should. But then I think there's also then this interesting question that even once you come to appreciate, okay, reflection is really important, I should reflect, then there's sort of a value judgment in there. At what point am I ready for the reflection? At what point have I gathered enough experience that, you know, now it is going to be actually more beneficial to me to sit and reflect rather than to continue to gather more experience? Yeah, and this this study doesn't mention it, um, you know, but there's this whole concept out there of deliberate practice, which is such a big thing, and you get your 10,000 hours uh, of experience. I think Malcolm Gladwell popularized this idea, so I, I think that feeds into this idea that it's, you know, practice, 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 that, that's what's going to get you to Carnegie Hall or, or, or whatever, um, but it's important to remember, even in a concept like deliberate practice in, in its actual original form before it got, you know, bastardized many times along the way, I mean, the idea of being deliberate is it you get feedback, um, and that may be from a, a coach somebody who's instructing you and you know helping you to, to do better but very often it's you stopping and reflecting on that practice before you proceed with more practice so that you're able to adjust um, and that you're able to really get you know as much as possible out of the experiences that you've had I, I did I thought it was also interesting in that study though and we will we'll put a link to the study in the show notes so um, so folks can have a look at it um, but you know my first impulse in thinking about reflection would be along the lines of um, how we started the podcast that it that, you know, it, it supports things we already know about learning science, um, effortful retrieval, elaboration, space learning, and would seem, you know, in my mind to bolster memory. If you do those things, it's going to help, you know, lock things into memory much better, make them uh, really, you know, part of your tacit knowledge. Um, but the group that did this study, they really tied reflection into self-efficacy. So by going through the process of reflecting, you actually became uh, more confident about whatever task you were engaged in, which was going to make you more likely to do even better at it uh, going for forward. And, and I don't think they explicitly made this tie, but self-efficacy also ties into motivation. Um, so you got the confidence, you've got the motivation. We know motivation is just so important to learning, intrinsic motivation. So reflection is really helping to support self-efficacy and by extension, confidence, uh, intrinsic motivation. Uh, and I mean, that's powerful stuff. And, and that wouldn't have been my first take on, on reflection, um, but that's there along with, you know, just how it helps to bolster memory. Yeah, I did think that was really interesting too, that notion of self-efficacy. And then, like you said, the, the further connection in, in our minds anyway to motivation, it, you know, and I like having these empirical studies to, to talk about and to look at. But, you know, one thing I also wanted to throw out is that I think there's just a, a certain amount of common sense if you stop to think about the benefit of reflection. And, and for me, it's this idea of uh, if you're going to go and do something, if you're going to go and, uh, you know, deliver a, a, a speech or facilitate a workshop, you prepare. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you think in, in advance about what it is that you want to do, then you go and do it. And so I think that we have this, this idea of kind of there's the there's the, the preparation, which is, you know, arguably kind of, uh, you know, not the experience itself, so similar to reflection in, in that that it's kind of arguably in action. Um, and we're used to doing that up front, but we don't remember to bookend it uh, after the experience with right. the reflection where we're looking back. So I think too, aside from all the empirical studies, which are great, you know, to have that evidence, but I think just common experience would tell us, you know, if we're going to kind of prepare for something, then do it. It also makes sense then to reflect back on, on what it is. So there's just a common sense element. Right, right. And, and this might be a good point for us to start uh, reflecting back a little bit because, uh, you know, as you were saying at, at the beginning, um, 
this is episode 25 and, and we wanted to take a moment. We, we did uh, an after action review on the, the leading learning symposium uh, and we'll include links to that for anybody who uh, is not familiar with that. But we, we took some time after the symposium to, to really look back and, and walk through it in, in some detail and think about, you know, what we had intended what worked, uh, what di what didn't, uh, and, and try to be you know pretty buttoned up about that so that we can hopefully improve it uh, quite a bit going forward. I don't think we'll get quite that uh, formal with, with the podcast, but um, you know, I mean, I think looking back over it, it, it is worth examining, you know, why we did this um, and and how how it's actually turned out and, and what we might do going forward. And you know, when we started this podcast, it, it was sort of a lead up to the the leading learning symposium that, that happened in the fall. Um, we had a vague idea that you know we would probably continue it beyond the symposium, but you know, who knows? Um, we wanted to just kind of get it out there and give it a shot. And, you know, I know, you know, among the goals we had, one was that we would be able to in engage with the faculty in advance, um, which was useful on, on a number of levels. Uh, and, and this is, you know, one of those reasons that podcasting can be useful in general. We're big fans of podcasting. We'll, we'll probably talk more about kind of the mechanics of podcasting in an upcoming episode. But this allowed us, you know, to have conversations with Seth Kahn, with Lisa Bing, with Wes Trokel, um, with Rohit Bhargava in advance of the symposium. And that allowed us to, you know, to exchange some ideas, to flesh things out in sort of a, a conversation, a discussion, help get them kind of primed for the symposium experience, help us, you know, become even more familiar with them, but then also to provide content out to our our, our audience and our prospective audience for this symposium um, with the hope that, you know, that might be something of a social learning object uh, if enough people have actually listened in and are kind of bringing that, that pre-content uh, to the symposium. Um, but, you know, in, in general, leading up to uh, the, the fall event, it just represented a, a great way to kind of engage around um, that event and really get us focused and, and attuned um, towards it. And I think it, it, I think it worked really well for that. I think podcasting can work very well around events um, to, you know, to, to help build their base in, in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, so I'll just say that Right. For us, I think that having both kind of an internal and external focus or purpose for the mm -hmm. podcast was, was really useful. Like you're saying, we could use it um, for marketing and to, to help uh, get people who are coming to the symposium or who might come to the symposium familiar with some of those people who are going to be there. But then for us, it what really was sort of uh, it did some of the preparatory work uh, coming into to the symposium helped us familiarize ourselves with the work of those people even more and then like you said once you have these um, podcasts or an you know an episode that really can be a, a social learning object so this idea of something that then allows other people to to talk and interact around mm -hmm. it and kind of build new knowledge and ideas from it and one of the other ideas that we've um, had for the podcast, another way to use it has been to to engage with people uh, in our community. And so we've had a chance to uh, interview folks that that we have met at an event or met through our webinars or met through email or or even we know them from um, working directly with their organizations. But to, again, be able to talk uh, a little more in depth about what they're doing and get more familiar. So we've talked with Jay Donahue and Sherry Rager and, and, and Josh Goldman. And, and so it's just been this chance for us to to go a little deeper and learn a little bit more about what makes these organizations that we're uh, trying to serve and, and support really understand more what are their you know top issues, what are their top opportunities, and, and dig in with that a little bit. 
yeah, and that's you know helped with sharing and propagating some ideas, some uh, best practices, lessons learned, you know, throughout our community and and more broadly out into um, the association sector in, in particular, since that's you know primarily who we uh, interface with at this point. And we realized as we were going along, um, this wasn't necessarily there right at the beginning, but we've always felt that. Um, at the top level of organizations at C-suite, particularly CEO, we're not hearing a dynamic enough conversation around the role of learning and education and the value that that creates for, for membership organizations and for the fields and industries that they serve. And so we, were, we wanted to engage and create more of a discussion, more of a dialogue there. So we've actually started using the podcast, you know, explicitly to reach out to these C-level folks. Um, Jay and Sherry, you know, were examples of that. Uh, we've talked with Bruce Clark at, at CAI and, and a number of others. And, and we'll, we'll continue to do those uh, leader interviews, uh, you know, with the hope that this gets more and more on the radar screens of people at top levels of organizations and that, uh, you know, learning is more fully appreciated as the, the catalyst for value uh, that it is for membership organizations uh, in particular. I mean, often learning really is the main reason that people are attracted to an organization in the first place. And so you really need to focus on it as a business asset um, and, and build that uh, going forward. And the podcast is, you know, provide a mechanism for, for doing that. Well, and you just mentioned learning, and the podcast has been a way for us to, to learn. We Definitely. talked about that a little bit in terms of the symposium and getting more familiar with the, the faculty's work, but also just um, in general to sit down and be able to have, you know, a 20 or 30 minute conversation with uh, any of these folks, you know, requires some prep work, some some review, getting up to, to speed again on what we understand to be those issues and challenges. And so it really helps us to be more fluent in what's going on in, in this kind of broader learning space, uh, especially for market-facing organizations like uh, associations. And so it's been um, a learning experience for us, and it's um, something that we've uh, started to focus on more consciously in the sense of we're creating a body of work. Mm-hmm. And so really trying to think about it from kind of a, a broad perspective so like you said you know as we're interviewing leaders and kind of looking at it you know doing that repeatedly you know that's something that we're trying to do you know and and just knowing that over time if we can continue to do this and do it in a thoughtful way we really are um going to have a a body of work that speaks to to learning and its issues and its challenges and its opportunities yeah definitely and you know i mean we're we're pushing ourselves in, in in doing that. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, these are smart people we're talking to. Uh, you don't want to get on the phone uh, or Skype or whatever unprepared uh, with them. You, you really need to, to know enough to engage in an, a, a, an intelligent conversation with them. And then, I mean, when we have discussions like this, um, you know, just being able to talk fluently for 20, 30 minutes or so on, say, a topic like reflection um, or some of the other topics that we've covered, you know, you you gotta. You have to sharpen the saw a little bit. You have to hone your skills a, a little bit to be able to do that kind of thing. And if you're going to do it week in and week out, so I think in terms of, you know, supporting personal development, I think you know blogging is a great way to do that. Uh, podcasting is another great way to do that. You just really you have to stay on top of your game, um, basically, to to be able to to do this kind of thing. And it's you know and it's made us work together in in a little bit of a different way. I mean, we've been working together for years in in many different ways. Um, this is just a, you know another manifestation of that, and you know so what's it going to be like to you know hit record and and talk for 20, 30 minutes, and you know how are we going to do with that? Um, and you know so so far so good. Um, 
and many, many more to come. So, you know, I mean, that's some of what it's accomplished. Obviously, all of this is, is, is a marketing platform, too. I mean, we, we don't make a lot of distinctions between, you know, or we've said before, the lines between learning, education, marketing, or, you know, are increasingly blurry. I mean, we're doing this podcast because we want to reach our audience and we want to deliver value to them. And hopefully they're learning something. But of course, they know about us as a result of, uh, of listening to the podcast. And I think the one, maybe the one final thing I, I mentioned, it relates to that last point, is that, uh, you know, putting a podcast into the mix, I mean, we've blogged for years, we've done publications, we've done events, um, and we're a small organization, we have no aspirations to be a huge organization, you know, so we're trying to leverage ourselves as, as best as possible. Um, and I think doing the podcast is one of a number of things we've done lately that have made us step back and be more reflective about our content strategy and how all of the pieces fit together. You know, how does the podcast relate to the event, to the webinars, to what we do on the blog? And we've been very conscious, particularly over the last few weeks, and maybe we'll do an episode about that at some point, about how we've really mapped out the connections between the different types of content uh, that we're offering. And, and the podcast is part of that content, and I think doing the podcast has also just helped to kind of catalyze our, our thinking around that and, and help us get a little more um, formal about it. So, you know, I'd say in general, it's been a very, you know, multifunctional um, thing for us. It's certainly been challenging at times to make sure that we can week in and week out uh, come up with something. But, uh, you know, reflecting back, um, it's been a great experience so far. Definitely a, a learning experience. And I think we have a lot to build on going forward. Yeah, it takes a lot of time and energy, but it feels like time and energy well spent. And I think that gets at what you were saying just now about it. as we see it fitting in with what we're doing elsewhere, that makes it make a lot more sense in terms of being willing to carve out the time to, to do this. And being willing to be authentic and have sirens in the background too, I think is, uh, <laughs> is part of effective podcasting. So I guess as we, as we close off today, um, you know, we started out with uh, talking about uh, why reflection, what reflection is good for. And I think, you know, probably to exit um, with the idea that uh, we could all stand to become more conscious of reflecting in our own lives and just making the time and space to do it. And then I also think, you know, since we're talking to people through this podcast who are, you know, offering events, offering learning experiences, I mean, practically, tactically, you know, what can they do to um, make reflection more a part of the experiences that they're providing? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because I think, you know, reflection is sort of like sleep where we know it's really important to how you learn, but uh, it doesn't necessarily seem appropriate to invite people to a workshop and then have them take, you know, an hour nap and, and then move right. on to teaching. Um, as attractive as that might be <laughs> well, right. and, and I'm sure there are situations where it makes complete sense and, you know, and, and, and there will be applications for that. But I think by and large, you know, that's not necessarily what people um, are looking for. You're going to kind of count on them to get, uh, you know, the sleep that they need and then come prepared. And I think that um, that's probably, you know, relatively true with reflection as well, where you're going to need to count on the learner to to do that work of reflecting. But I do think that there are things as, you know, providers of learning that, that we can do. Um, we can do things like uh, like we did at the symposium where we had kind of synthesis sessions at the end of, of each day and asked some people some questions to help them reflect on what it was that they'd learned. Um, and just to provide a little bit of space in, you know, in a, 
a conference or uh, at a workshop to do that kind of thing. If nothing else, even if not everybody participates in it, at least you're modeling the fact that this is something that you need to be doing and that you need to be giving uh, time for. Maybe you give a little bit at the event itself or, you know, at, during the, the webinar or whatever it is, but then also, too, making sure that you make clear that this is something that the learners will need to come back to on their own. And I think you could even do something as simple as, you know, pull out your calendars and, you know, make sure to block off 30 minutes, you know, in the next week where you're going to commit to taking the time to reflect on what it is that you've learned. Yeah, and we, I mean, we had that concept at, um, at the symposium of white space. And when we reflected on the, the symposium, you know, we felt like maybe we wanted to get a little more white space in this time around. And I, and I think, you know, as people who are offering learning events, and, and if you happen to be a facilitator, a teacher, or a presenter, not being afraid of the white space, not being afraid of a little silence sometimes. Um, I mean, I think it's good to ask reflective questions, whether you're presenting from the stage, whether you're presenting in a webinar, and then pause. And, and don't be afraid of, of a little bit of silence. I think that's really scary for people for some reason, um, and I get it, you know, but, but sometimes you got to do that and you've got to model the behaviors. But, um, but I, you know, as you said, it really it comes down to the individual. You've got to make that uh, decision yourself that reflection is going to be an important part of your learning. As organizations, we can highlight that. We can explain why that's important. We can give some of the science behind it. We can try to model it in the events, but then ultimately the individual has to say, I'm going to do this. And so I guess we'll, we'll challenge listeners as we're leaving here, you know, you're, you're probably sitting someplace where you've got a, a calendar handy um, uh, or, or soon will be um, to actually make some of that space on, on your calendar to set a little bit of time aside. You might want to reflect on this podcast. You might want to reflect on something else you've done uh, recently, um, but, but definitely to make some time. And I recommend, I, I do this weekly. Um, I try to do a little bit each morning as well, but make that time to reflect. And I also just wanted to comment on... Um Micro learning, you know, I feel like we're hearing so much about uh, yeah. um, micro learning these days, and and it's just occurred to me that if if the if we focus too much on on micro learning and its ability to sort of you know fit into all these little nooks and crannies in our schedule, so you have that ten minutes when you're driving in the car, or you have the you know ten minutes when you're waiting in line, and so now you're going to be you know learning, then you're going to be content, you're going to yeah. be putting content and experience in there. Well, I I think that. Ideally, what micro learning is doing is it's kind of condensing down the uh, the content and an experience with the idea that then the time save could be used on reflection. So I think that that could be an interesting thing for organizations to do is to kind of really pair micro learning with a, an emphasis on the fact that okay, you need to be reflecting then on on what you've just learned in this really condensed format. Yeah. And so, you know, we appreciate that everybody listening has let us fill up a little bit of their calendar uh, with some content. This wasn't quite micro, but it's relatively short learning experience. But we do sincerely hope that you will put some time on your calendar that is purely for reflection, whether on this or for whatever it is that it makes sense for you to reflect about. But make that a personal practice. Make that a discipline. So, I guess we're wrapping up this this episode, uh, but before we exit, uh, I wanted to again mention what Salisa did at the at the beginning, the learning technology design event that's going to be May 18th and 19th in Arlington. Would love to see you there. You can find out more at ltd.leadinglearning.com. We'd also like to thank again Com Partners for being a sponsor of our webinars and by extension, a sponsor of this podcast episode. You can find out more about Com Partners at compartners.com. 
To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 25. Remember, this is the milestone 25th episode. And while you're there, you'll see some options for subscribing to the podcast. And we do hope that you will take uh, just a minute to subscribe. Subscribing would be a great way to give us give us a 25th anniversary uh, present. Another great way to do that would be if you just take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. Um, you can just go to leadinglearning.com forward slash iTunes. That'll get you to where you need to go. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd give us uh, hopefully five stars there and, and a brief uh, review that'll help others know how valuable you're finding the Leading Learning Podcast to be. And also consider telling others about the podcast. You can uh, send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can grab the text there or put uh, it into your own words, what you like about the Leading Learning podcast, and then share it on your social network of, of preference or, or just in an email to someone. So thanks again, and if you happen to be somebody who has been around for all 25 episodes, very special thank you to you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you've done that. Just drop us a line at csteel at tagoras.com or jcobb at tagoras.com, and we'll have those links in the, in the show notes too so you can get to us. Um, but we appreciate you listening. We're looking forward to the next 25 episodes, and for now, we'll say we're signing off from the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.